Welcome to the Rise Podcast. This show, Stemming the Tide. Climate change is heating up the land and the oceans as well. Warmer water expands, causing the seas to rise, while melting glaciers add even more water. Then more extreme storms push these waters up onto the world's coasts, from Tuvalu to Bangladesh, from New York to the Maldives. While we must try to curb climate change, we've now reached a tipping point. It's too late to roll it back altogether. Even if we, all over the world, we park all of our cars, shut down all of our power plants, and turn off all the lights everywhere today, there's so much greenhouse gas in the system, it would continue to get warmer for at least another quarter century, if not half a century. That's Will Travis. He's executive director of BCDC, the Bay Conservation and Development Commission. So that's why we have to couple our efforts of reducing greenhouse gases with efforts to adapt to the changes that are inevitable. San Francisco is one of those places where we need to find a way to adapt to changes we can no longer halt. Increased flooding already threatens the financial district of San Francisco. What's going to happen to that financial district? So much of it is close to water, right at sea level. Journalist Paul McHugh is getting a good look at the levees that currently protect San Francisco from the perspective of his kayak. This really is a beautiful waterfront. Uh, it's well loved. And the question is, how do we save it? Can we save it if the bay seriously starts to rise? This question is on a lot of people's minds these days. Well, I definitely wouldn't want it to be abandoned. There's way too much at stake. There's people's lives and businesses and the economy. And I would think that you would want to protect it. Yes, it's extremely important to protect us. But how are we going to do it? I guess you could rise, well, make higher buildings. Or... Live like the Jetsons, super high off the ground. I, I have no idea how you, what you would have to do to prevent this from happening. I, have... I really don't know. I'm not a scientist. I guess you could do stuff. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't actually know. What's it mean to adapt? What can we actually do? Craig Hartman's been thinking about this. He's a lead architect with Skidmore, Owens & Merrill, one of the biggest design firms in the world. There are two solutions to uh, sea level change. One is a wetlands approach, which lets the water spread as sea level uh, rises. The second is a hard levee system. A very high seawall that is very thick so that the water will always stay on one side of it and the development can be on the other side of it. So we try to do what the Dutch did and put it in a vast system of pumps and drains, levees, dams and dikes. They have 8,000 miles of it around that tiny country. Do we have to do a similarly robust system here? San Francisco and many other low-lying cities around the bay are already defended by levees. But as sea levels rise and storms increase, these levees won't be up to the job. Fremont is part of the coastal development stretching along the eastern shore of the bay, between Oakland and San Jose. Levees protect this coastal town from flooding. 
from both rain runoff and bay tides. You know, you see the canal with the water on one side. And uh, the houses are, well, as you can see, a little bit lower than the water here. That's David Cruz. David Cruz. I'm foreman for uh, Firma. Firma is a Bay Area construction company that works on levee maintenance along the Bay's coastline. San Mateo Bridge levee. Then we did Guadalupe and San Jose a while back. We've done quite a bit. Today, they're working on Fremont's levee. When it rains, it gets all filled up, and uh, I think it's eroding the, the levee here, so I don't know what time it'll, you know, collapse, I guess. It'll get all flooded, you know. You see the levees in other areas failing, you know. I guess they're trying to prevent that, you know. They're strengthening the riprap, a barrier of jumbled rocks along Fremont's levee to keep it from eroding. We're going to bring trucks with rock, throw it down, and place it in place. And that's basically it. Well, generally, the problem with levees is that sea level won't stop. You tend to build a levee, and it is a certain height, but sea level is going to continue to keep going up. They need to go higher and higher, so you have to redo it. Will Travis, or Travis as he likes to be called, understands that while levees are vital, they may not be a match for the problems ahead. Levees are expensive to build and they are very expensive to maintain. So it's not a question of the cost for the levee. You have to put in the cost of maintaining it. Of course, the big thing to bear in mind is there's only two kinds of levees. Those that fail and those that are going to fail. It takes a lot of willpower a lot of economic strength and a lot of diligence and vigilance to keep that kind of thing from springing a leak. As Hurricane Katrina proved in New Orleans, if you blow it, you blow it big. I don't know, maybe the other alternative is to, you know, take what the sea gives us. Try to figure out ways to help the environment. I think conversion of wetlands is the right direction. Wetlands are the other traditional solution for flood control. What's a wetland? It's really not that complicated. The easiest way to think of it is the land that's wet, at least temporarily wet, for some period of time. This is Mendel Stewart. He works for the Fish and Wildlife Service, managing a huge and ambitious project to convert salt ponds back to wetlands around the San Francisco Bay. 85 to 90 percent of the historic tidal wetlands in San Francisco Bay have been lost. They've been diked and drained and converted to other uses, particularly through filling for development. Obviously, we can't restore San Francisco to its natural state. But in front of a lot of other major development around the bay are huge tracts of industrial salt ponds that used to be wetlands. While many wetlands were filled in for real estate development, these wetlands were made into briny ponds to harvest salt. One of the great things about salt production, there's still open space. If it wasn't for those marshes being converted to salt production, they would have been filled and built on it gave us the opportunity that we would not otherwise have to do many of the restoration projects that we're doing all around the bay. 
Sitting along the bay's shoreline, about an hour's drive south of San Francisco, is the city of East Palo Alto. My name is Michelle Orr. I am a hydrologist by training. My name is Justin Vandiver. I'm a coastal engineer. We're out at the Cooley Landing Salt Pond Restoration. It used to be marsh a long time ago. Then, in the 20th century, for several decades, it was used uh, for industrial salt production. And 10 years ago, the tides were reintroduced so that it could once again become a natural marsh. It's, um, it's not rocket science, but we basically just opened it up to the tides in the right locations and let the tide waters come onto the site. So now, 10 years later, Michelle and Justin are out here today to see whether this area is, in fact, reverting to wetlands. What we're looking out on is uh, a very nice young marsh that's building up and then some areas that are still mudflats. Mudflats are a stage this area is going through on its way to becoming a marsh. What I'm seeing is an ecosystem come back to life. As we look over this muddy, perhaps, but natural landscape, we are enveloped by the sound of several freeways, a bridge, and endless airplanes. So behind us is the community of East Palo Alto, and it's uh, built on very, very low ground, prone to coastal flooding. While East Palo Alto is nestled within Silicon Valley, this city is primarily Latino, poor, and sitting in the path of sea level rise. So with climate change, we can expect sea level rise and more frequent intense storm events. And um, the city of East Palo Alto would be subject to increasing levels of flooding. This marsh will be part of the solution. These marshes will help provide flood protection to uh, East Palo Alto here. And uh, as a wave travels from the bay across this marsh, the marsh surface and the plants on the marsh will absorb the wave energy. So by the time that wave hits this levee here, it's going to be a lot smaller. The marshes can help there, but you, you definitely need levees to be part of your flood solution. So marshes and levees can work together to provide a, a system of flood protection. Why don't we go ahead and I think we'll head up to the north part of the site. Watch your step. The boards are not in great shape on the boardwalk here. You hear the quality of some of the boardwalks and uh, you do need to be careful. Boardwalk was a polite euphemism as I faced a thin rickety plank, rotten through in places, propped up on even thinner stakes and running above the mud about four feet in the air. With too much recording equipment and some misgiving, I followed my guides onto the boardwalk. This whole area looks completely different than when the site was first restored. I love this because you can see where the shorebirds have been in this channel feeding the little footprints with the uh, like three forks. Looks like an egret to me. All right. Shall we keep going? We'll look for our sedimentation plates. We may have to step down into the marsh, but uh, the mud is pretty firm here, so we should be okay. So now we're abandoning even the relative security of the boardwalk and clambering down onto the mudflat itself. Anything with water on it is going to be softer and you'll sink farther down. Uh, so you want to look for dry mud 
or, uh, or vegetated marsh. That will be the firmest to walk on. I pick my way ever so carefully through the muck. Likes mud ha, ha, ha. Oh, this isn't good. Oh, no. Down to my shins in mud, and then stuck like Br'er Rabbit to Tar Baby for the next 20 minutes. Do you want to just give me your recorder? They finally pull me out with only minimal damage to my self-respect. So we're going to put a rod down into the mud. Could have used me for that. That's where we'll measure. And it'll hit a plate that used to be at the marsh surface 10 years ago. And now it's covered in mud. Actually, it looks like quite a bit. In a few more years, there's going to be so much sediment accumulated that we won't be able to measure it off of this pin anymore. Sea level rise is a reality. So these kinds of projects are critical. We've got to get these kinds of projects going. We've got to get them going fast so that the marsh starts to build. And flood protection is only one of the benefits to bringing back the wetlands. It's such an, uh, a no-brainer that wetland restoration is going to have a positive benefit to fisheries and fish resources because wetlands provide the, the homes for fish, crustaceans, all of these these, these critters, as I call them. Wetlands are also a filtering system. Wetlands are the, the kidneys, often considered the kidneys, the liver of, of the bay, and they provide the opportunity for water to be cleaned. Wetlands filter the air, too, reducing the greenhouse gases that are causing climate change. Plants utilize the carbon when they go through photosynthesis. It's just a natural process. Restoring marshes takes patience. <laughs> it's rewarding to see it go from planning to construction equipment out here to, you know, a marsh forming in front of our eyes. Architect Craig Hartman understands that, like levees, wetlands also have their problems. We don't have that much uh, horizontal land area to give over to wetlands. We have airports, we have uh, highways, we have cities. They're built up very, very close to our edge. Uh, we can accommodate wetlands in some areas, but this is not a, a single solution for a place that's as urbanized as the San Francisco Bay. We have to understand that there is no silver bullet answer. There may be a silver buckshot where we have a whole series of options. For Travis, one solution might be just to abandon some places. We are going to protect downtown San Francisco. We're going to protect Silicon Valley. We're going to protect the international airports. There will be other lower-valued areas where we're going to have to make some very hard and expensive choices in the future. This is going to be a complicated, messy process. So Travis created a design competition asking for solutions to sea level rise in the Bay. He got 130 solutions. Craig Hartman's Bay Arc was one of them. The idea is to solve the problem for the entire bay by regulating the water that comes through the very narrow throat of the Golden Gate. Bay Arc was one of the entries, which is a proposal for essentially a curtain that would lay on the bottom of the Golden Gate and be raised up at the highest tides. And the jury said, well, this is a fascinating idea. I don't know if it's real, but it's certainly worth looking into. 
We are Golden Gate Bridge, at, at, uh, right at the northern corner, right at the water level. Craig is perched on a rock just below the Golden Gate Bridge. We are standing on a beautiful uh, rock escarpment here. It's right on the edge of the water here. And uh, looking out uh, to the Golden Gate Bridge, looking up at this majestic structure, it is actually deep uh, between these, uh, these towers, very, very deep. And there's a lot of uh, very, very massive uh, forces, tidal uh, forces, going in and outside of the bay on a daily basis. Very, very powerful uh, forces. The idea would be to create a dam. Uh, think of it as a curtain, which will be submersed down actually to the floor of the bay. And only when we have a flooding condition this curtain would be deployed to rise up to the surface. It simply rises when it's needed, and most of the time it's actually simply uh, not visible. So is Craig's plan actually feasible? Well, it can work. I mean, there's no question that technically it will work. We've done the analysis uh, to know that is the case. This is really a political issue. How do you deploy the financial resources to make any of these solutions happen? How bad do things have to get before there is the, the political will to do something, anything? If you know that it's possible that we're going to be underwater, then why wouldn't you do everything to stop it? It just makes me wonder what we need to do as a city or as a state, as a country, to stop this. Paul, Healy, Travis, and Craig are all looking toward the future. A future living with climate change. So, how do we adapt? And we do know this, we have to adapt in some fashion. The rate and the magnitude of current change is like nothing evolution has ever had to adapt to before. Wouldn't it be smart to minimize those effects before they happen as much as possible? Then maybe your levees and dams don't have to be quite so high. Maybe you don't have to flee quite so far uphill. Maybe you get a few more species accompanying you on your way into the future. In the past, it was seen as a false choice. It was either you try as hard as you can to reduce greenhouse gases, and if you adapt, it's almost like admitting failure. Now we've recognized we have to do both. We have to couple the two together. We still have time to halt the worst impacts of sea level rise. Making this transition to a green economy is the most important thing that we can do to allow us to be able to adapt to the climate change and sea level rise that's coming. But if we don't halt our carbon emissions, we may face a future that we actually cannot adapt to. I see this as important for our future, certainly for my children and grandchildren and for the, you know, the future generations who will inhabit this, this place. The water is nice in the sun. You've got the water line. You've got tall buildings. Just sitting on the pier, looking over towards Oakland, you can see everything from here. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love San Francisco. Rise, Stemming the Tide, was produced and directed by Claire Schoen. 
Associate producers, Vanessa Lowe and Erica Moo. The editor was Vanessa Lowe. Original music by Jonathan Mitchell. Special thanks to Jan Sturman, Stephen Most, and Scott Kuei. To hear all the stories in the RISE series, please visit us online at crise.org. I'm Claire Schoen.